Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And we are without our third member, Eli, today. He is taking care of some work stuff, but he will be back next week. Jess, how do you feel like our dynamic, just the two of us? This, this is how we did it for a little bit back in the day, isn't it? Yeah, we've uh, done it this way a lot. Uh, even when Marcus was on the show, sometimes, True. you know, he uh, missed out uh, on an episode here and there. So we have a lot of experience doing this. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's not so bad. We're uh, unfortunately we're kind of doing it on a, on a bad week. Like the Orioles were horrific this past week. Well, I'm kind of wondering: should we just scrap all the topics for this week and just keep talking about the John Means no hitter? Uh, <laughs> maybe that would be more appropriate. I know we should just yeah. That that's really that's what the the memory of the season is going to be. Even if the Orioles you know put together a respectable like 70 win year, this is still the year of the John Means no hitter. So I don't think that's totally unreasonable. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like it at least worth is worth mentioning every episode from here on out. Uh, well, now, is it soured at all by the fact that Wade Miley then threw one less, well, a little over two days later? Well, he really uh, stole the limelight away. Yeah. So that, I mean, th- that is really, really unfortunate uh, because every everybody was paying attention to him, I felt like. And then mm-hmm. he just stole the thunder. I mean, what I will say is like, okay, yeah, Wade Miley, John Means, they both technically threw a no hitter, but John Means is was on another level. I, a I mean, better no hitter. Yeah, yeah we're right. biased, but John Means was a it was like a perfect no hitter, whereas Wade Miley, I think, walked a guy, and I think there was an error, and you know, it wasn't as sexy as John Means is. Right. Yeah. That there are definitely a lot of problems. I mean whether you hold the air against them. I mean, I don't know if that's, you know, but I, I don't even know what you're saying. Yeah. I don't yeah. even know if there was an error. I'm just like, you right. know, I'm trying to throw it out there. Like it, it, it's as perfect as a non-perfect perfect game can be basically. Right. The John means one. Right. Because right. the one hitter who reached, it was a K. Right. Simple as that. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the true, the true mark of somebody who's really made it and is officially a quote unquote good player is, there are people that now just don't like John means just because he's good. And there is a TikTok account out there that I saw it. I was scrolling through my for you page. I don't know if you're on TikTok, but no, I'm scroll- not. <laughs> scrolling through my for you page. And I saw it. And then I saw it, it had been shared around um, Twitter a little bit. There's this guy on, on Twitter, t- TikTok rather that just like half of his videos are about how John means cheats by doctoring up the baseball. And he just has like a bunch of videos. He's like, Oh, look, John means went to his glove again. He went to his glove again. Like he's doctoring up the baseball and it's like, really? We're doing this. I mean, it's kind of a good sign because uh, maybe it demonstrates some growth on the part of the Orioles. Right. Uh, I mean, if people are hating us, that says something. There's a reason everybody hates the Yankees. Right. So right. maybe that maybe this is a good thing, Tyler. It's true. He's lumped in on that on that page with like uh, Garrett Cole. The guy talks about Garrett Cole and John Means all the time. And he like has one video where he's like, look, like they've and they uh, the the broadcast he had the video of was like showing the top the the three best ERAs in baseball. And it was Danny Duffy, Garrett Cole and John Means. And he's like, oh, look, John Means and, and uh, Garrett Cole right there at the top of the ERA. It's like, OK, well, what about Danny Duffy? Right. Like let's it's early season. There's some anomalies like. John means probably isn't a one and a half ERA pitcher. Let's settle down a little bit. Right, 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 right. 
but he is a no hitter pitcher. So it's true. And he also, yeah. you know, should we get the silver lining out of the way since we're talking about John Means? Uh, I mean, I guess we could. I mean, this is pretty unorthodox to do it this early in the show, but we might as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not really the, the thing is there wasn't very much positive to take from last week. Um, even this silver lining is from a loss, but uh, John means followed up his no hitter. I don't know if you guys heard about the no hitter, but he threw a no hitter um, er- earlier this year. And then this week he threw six more shutout innings against the New York Mets and only threw 74 pitches. But, you know, I think that's a silver lining is he's now gone back to back starts with allow- without allowing a run it's been two weeks since john mean has john means has allowed a run in a baseball game and there is kind of a thing that goes around baseball that starters are like supposed to have a bad start after their after Mm -hmm. the start following their no hitter um i don't know how actually supported by evidence that is or not or if it's just kind of a, a myth out there um, but there definitely is an attitude that starting pitchers have a bad start on the start that follows their no hitter. Right. So um, the fact that he did not do that is very good. So, yeah. And this is from, from MLB.com. They do the stat of the day every single day and their stat the other day uh, was about John means. And apparently no pitcher has followed up a no hitter in the way John means has since Edison Volquez in 2017. Um because he is he's the first person I think to uh, follow up a no hitter with a scoreless outing since Volquez in 2017. So to your point, Jesse. Right, and Volquez was a great pitcher too. So that's a good thing to hear. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, the other thing I was gonna say real quick, and in that uh, start that he had, the six shutout innings. Um, that was kind of, I, I gotta say, that was a frustrating game. That's the one game over the the past week that the Orioles probably are really kicking themselves about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yes, of course, Valdez blew the save and he did not pitch as well as he's capable of. And Plutko uh, struggled a little bit. Right. Um, but I was going to say in that ninth inning, the Orioles defense really let Valdez down. Uh, there was the first ball that got by uh, Ruiz at third. Um, and then there were a, I think Urias had an air that inning. Um, maybe, maybe not, but uh, I know there were a couple defensive plays that inning that, that were not good. So Yeah. It, it was just one of those weeks, one of those games, like, you know, where I think it kind of served as a reminder, like, Oh, we're not quite there yet. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, we've got John means and, you know, Mountcastle's hitting the ball a little bit better, but you know, we've still got, Ramon Urias and Rio Ruiz playing meaningful innings for this team. And this isn't, we're not, the rebuild's not finished just yet. Not even close. And uh, (laughs) I mean, if John Means could pitch every game for us, maybe we're having a different conversation. Maybe we can tolerate a Rio Ruiz and a Ramon Urias and maybe uh, do some damage uh, in the league, Uh, but he can't. So, right. Right. But, you know, it's it's uh, we're getting there. We're getting there and we're not. I saw a piece today about the Tigers and basically how like the Tigers rebuild has failed. They're they're kind of saying is because they've been in this rebuild for a really long time and you're not starting to see the fruits of that. The the high draft picks and whatever development system they're said to have uh, put together. And in that same article, they reference the Orioles along with the Pirates to say, like, these are two teams that, yes, they're still bad, but you can start to see some positives 
and some some emergence on the major league stage for what this rebuild has done. And, you know, there's some positive news for the Orioles this week. Like the Orioles are viewed favorably, maybe not winning on the major league side, but we're getting there. We're getting Definitely. there. The Tigers do have Casey Mize, though, which I am they, jealous of that. Well, that's what the, the article is basically pointing out. Like, yeah, they've got some good players on the team and in the pipeline, but these are all guys that they've drafted in like the top 10 picks. Whereas, you know, yes, that's important to hit on those first round picks, but you also need to find some guys beyond like the second or third round to, to really become a good team again. You need the depth, basically. Right. And John Means, you know, this is not just you can't attribute this to Mike Elias entirely, but John Means was, I think, an 11th round draft pick out of West Virginia. Like that's not a baseball powerhouse. So you need to have some of them finds too, and, and develop players that have our diamonds in the rough, if you will. And we had that during the Showalter era. So uh, that definitely was instrumental to our previous success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jonathan Scope was not a, a draft pick, but he was a, an amateur signing who didn't sign for a ton of money uh, and, you know, became an all-star caliber second baseman. And Miguel Gonzalez yep. was a very solid starting pitcher for us that came out of the Mexican League. So, yeah, you've got to go find those guys. And, uh, you know, the Orioles haven't, you know, we don't know all the guys they've they found or are going to find just yet, but um, upward trajectory just one of the, these weeks are going to happen sometimes and uh, hopefully they bounce back from it. But um, anyway, to, to kind of like put a bow on that, the Orioles were one in five last week. Uh, they went one in one in three against the Red Sox. And then they got swept in the a very mini road trip to Queens. Jesse, your stomping grounds uh, where they lost both games to the New York Mets. Um, so I don't know. Do you have any other general takeaways from the week? Any players in particular maybe you wanted to touch on or or anything you noticed? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, the one thing I the one thing I will say uh, that I'm getting um, a little uh, intrigued by more and more is Austin Hayes. And this past week wasn't his greatest week he's had, uh, not by any stretch. Um, he wasn't particularly bad, but. Uh, it seems like he's going to settle down into this number two uh, role in the lineup for a while. And that's kind of a nice addition to have right now. It, again, he's not hitting great. He's uh, he has been hitting better, but I think he's like just 270 or something in the last 15 games or something like that. Um, so, I mean, he's not tearing the cover off the ball uh, like Mullins has this season, but uh He's he's a dynamic player. He has some speed. He has some pop in the bat. And uh, he's kind of a nice find for the Orioles right now, um, especially with Santander on, uh, on the injured list. Um, it's nice that he's been able to kind of fill this hole in the lineup that the Orioles have had uh, for the past several weeks. So um, I'm encouraged uh, by Hayes. Uh, I think he's going to need to improve his performance long-term in order to really stick around in the majors, but uh, I'm encouraged by the start that he's having so far. So that's a a little silver lining, I would say. Yeah. I've got his numbers here on MLB.com from the last seven games. He's batted 286 with a 355 OBP and a 429 slugging last 15 games, 250 with a 318 OBP and a 450 slugging. So his power and on base, or I'm sorry, his power has dipped a little bit, 
this last week, but he's getting on base and, and getting base hits with a little more regularity. But, you know, this is, to, you know, that's a good thing to bring up because Austin Hayes not that long ago was a top 100 type of prospect, was a guy that, you know, wasn't at the, the Adley Rutschman level that we know of right now, but he was a guy that was viewed as a future building block for the Baltimore Orioles, maybe as a center fielder, maybe as a corner outfielder, but was definitely going to be in the picture somewhere. And his issue has just been staying healthy. Uh, so when he stays healthy and is able to get in the lineup every single day, I think you do start to see this production uh, pick up for him. But, uh, you know, it, it's nice to see him in the lineup. He compliments Cedric Mullins really well at the top. And hopefully we see a lot of those two moving forward. Mullins, you know, he was really, really good to start the year. His numbers have, you know, expectedly dipped as the year has gone on. But we should mention the play he had against the Red Sox where he turned a can of corn type of awkward pop fly behind, behind third base and shortstop into a triple, uh, you know, just a really fun, he, he's just a fun player. I don't know of anybody else in the team that could have done that. There's probably only a handful of guys in the whole league that could have done that. So, you know, I think he deserves a little bit of props for the hustle play and turning uh, what should have been an out into a three base hit. I definitely agree with Mullins uh, and not to bring it back to Hayes, uh, but that's one of the things I like about Hayes too, is because he definitely is a guy that is that always giving a hundred percent out on the field, uh, similar to Mullins. So um, yeah, in a lot of ways there, there are some similarities between the two of them as players. Absolutely. And then we should mention, cause we've actually got it here on our outline is Jorge Lopez went, he got through the fifth inning demons and put together a nice little start for the Orioles against the Red Sox went five and two thirds uh, Lopez. We've talked about on the podcast, I've sort of viewed him as a guy that could be really effective as a multi-inning relief pitcher or maybe an opener, but he flashed yet again that he can uh, hold down a starter's role. Brandon Hyde, I think it said earlier in the week that he wasn't yet ready to give up on Lopez as a starter. Um, what do you think about this latest development, Jesse? Do you think Lopez has, you know, earned himself another couple of trips to the rotation or is this just sort of a blip on what has otherwise been a pretty projectable trajectory for Lopez from starter to more of a bullpen piece. Oh, well, I mean, I definitely think he'll, he'll definitely get a few more starts for the Orioles. I mean, at this point he's giving up a run over five or five and two thirds, et cetera, innings um, pretty consistently. Uh, The fact is if he was giving up one run over four uh, and a third or four and two thirds innings, every single start, he'd probably lock down a rotation spot in this Orioles rotation uh, pretty, pretty easily. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I definitely think he'll get a few more opportunities in the starters role, if not a lot more opportunities, uh, frankly, just because of, uh, I I mean, there's nobody immediately uh, that is, is pressing to take his spot. Obviously the Orioles do have a few options floating around, uh, if necessary, but I think the Orioles aren't eager to to pull him from the starting rotation role. I think they there's something in him that they like. They are intrigued by. They went out and got him. Um, so you know they made a deliberate effort to to go out and uh, and get him. Uh, it wasn't like he was in the organization uh, when. Uh, Elias came in he wasn't a a McPhail leftover and they're like oh well he's here 
you know, we might as well use them. Right. Right. Um, so I think the Orioles definitely are intrigued by him. And I think they're going to uh, give him a chance to start until he proves that he's not capable of doing it. Yeah. And I think what you said about a lack of not necessarily a lack of options, but a lack of, uh, you know, dependable options. We've had Zach Lothar come up. We're going to talk about him in a minute. Struggled a little bit. Bruce Zimmerman has has had a couple chances. He's struggled a little bit. Dean Kramer's been up and down, although he's, you know, currently in the rotation. Keegan Aiken is currently on the active roster. I don't know that he's currently slotted to start a game, but you imagine he will at some point. There's nobody right now pushing Jorge Lopez all that much. And at the very least, we know Jorge Lopez can get through a major league lineup one full time and be pretty effective. So I would rather take three really good innings or at least two, two to three really good innings I know I'm going to get versus a rookie who might implode in the first two or three innings. And, you know, it's not the worst bet. Yeah, and and we saw a rookie uh, implode yeah. making his major league debut a few days ago. So we know what that looks like uh, as Oriole fans. Absolutely, but re- really good, uh, encouraging stuff from Jorge Lopez. Hopefully he continues to do it because his stuff, as we mentioned a couple times, has ticked up this year, and he does look like a better pitcher, a different pitcher this year when compared to last. So when he puts it all together, it's a lot of fun to watch. And Jesse, you like his hair. I know you like his hair. So yeah, yeah, positive. definitely, definitely. For yeah. sure. I, All right. I mean, he's got the best hair on the team. Well, okay. Who who else are the contenders? Freddie Galvis has kind of cool hair. Yeah, I guess Galvis. Um, I don't even know. Yeah, nobody else really has that interesting of hair. Anything that stands out? Like Rio Ruiz had interesting hair last year, but he cut it off. True. And there's no no Hunter Harvey. He's got the mullet thing going on. Right. So like maybe, I mean, not that it's like that exciting, but I mean, Hayes, I don't know. Yeah. He just kind of has like curly hair that, you know, pops out every now and then, but yeah, but nobody else like stands out really at all. Um, Yeah. Some of the pictures are going for mustaches, which is a facial hair. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Situation, but nothing, nothing too noteworthy. All right. Something else that people have started to talk about a little bit more this week is how the Orioles have performed at Camden Yards. Typically in the past, the Orioles tend to be pretty competitive at Camden Yards and they really struggle on the road. This year, it's been the exact opposite. The Orioles currently have a 5-13 and 13 record. They went 1-3 against the Red Sox this week at Camden Yards, and they now own the worst home record in all of Major League Baseball. You know, it's been a small sample size. 18 games isn't a whole lot to go on. They've played 19 games on the road. Uh, you know, Jess, I don't know if you have any general thoughts here, but is there any reason you think uh, is causing the Orioles to be so horrible at Oriole Park this year? Well, it's it's first of all, uh, it is very depressing uh, to watch the Orioles lose at home as badly as we have. Uh, I guess for nothing else other than sentimental reasons, because a win is a win and a loss is a loss, whether it's on the home or road, they're not weighted or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, for nothing else than sentimental reasons, it's it just feels extra depressing when the Orioles come home for a nice homestand. The Orioles have their fans out there supporting them, and we have weeks like we did this week. Well, we were uh, up in New York uh, for two games, but yeah. So, um, so. I mean, first, what I would say is I would emphasize the small sample size, right? Um, It is uh, 
very little, uh, just 18 games. So many things can happen in the middle of a game that can be fluky, that can be random, that can swing a few of those games. We're probably not having the same conversation if the Orioles win two of the games that they lost. Um, it, it's just a completely different outlook. Um, so uh, so I, I, I wouldn't get too uh, startled by anything mm-hmm. yet. Um, I, I guess the one thing I will say is, I mean, there is a reason it, it is called home field advantage, right? The <laughs> Orioles should be playing better at home. All things equal, the Orioles should theoretically be playing better at home. They know the stadium better. The outfielders know the stadium better. They have a better, uh, the infielders know the grass better. You know, there are all these little details to baseball, to the game. Um, the Orioles understand, uh, uh, like the shadows, the sun, all of these little details that go into baseball, the Orioles have an edge on uh, versus any visitors that come in. So um, over the course of a long season, when things kind of more or less, quote unquote, even out, um, the Orioles should be better at home than they should be on average on the road. Um, Of course, it doesn't always work like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, the main, the main point though, is that, um, it, it is at this point, a small sample size. It is a little, uh, it is something to keep an eye on moving forward though. It, it will be interesting to see whether, uh, this, this turns around and how long it will take for this to turn around. Um, because if the Orioles, not that the Orioles are really competing for anything this year, but if the Orioles want to put a decent season together or a halfway decent season, they're going to have to start playing better at home. It's as simple as that. Um, yeah. The, I mean, we can play well on the road, uh, but the road wins aren't always going to be there. We need to make sure that we capitalize on uh, when we're home. So yeah, it's kind of an old adage in baseball, right? It's like go 500 on the road and then win get win your series at home two out of three at home yeah. right so that's it makes you know because normally you'd say oh three and three on the road that's a pretty successful road trip let's get home some home cooking and and rack up those wins for the orioles you need to be a winning team on the road to make up for the deficit at home like you said the orioles are not quite in a position to compete just yet but it is a little bit demoralizing to kind of come into a home game already expecting to lose, which has, has been the, the situation so far this year. So let's get into sort of the differences so far in performance home and away. So uh, at, at home, I'm sorry, let me go back. When uh, the Orioles have been outscored on the at home 64 to 93, which is not good. Uh, their pitching at home, uh, or I'm sorry, their offense at home has been pretty similar they're batting 229 at home versus 227 on the road. Their OBP is actually better at home. They have a 305 on base percentage versus 279 on the road and a 385 slugging percentage, which again is better than their 359 slugging percentage on the road. So the problem then is going to be the pitching. Their pitching OPS at home, again, you want a lower number because this is your pitchers. Your OPS against is 776 at home. Versus on the road, it is 621. 
That is the problem right there, is they're giving up way more hard, big contact at home than they are on the road. And if you look at who's pitched at home, somebody who has not pitched at home very often is Cy Young candidate, John Means. Six of his eight starts have come on the road, and therein lies the small sample size issue. Uh, John Means isn't pitching at home. The Orioles aren't going to win at home. The one... the one thing I, I will say I'll add to that is the Orioles do have a very hitter friendly ballpark. So it, it would be expected to some degree that uh, more runs and more hard contact would come at home than on the road for the Orioles. Of course, it should be applied to our hitters and our pitchers equally. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, on the road, I mean, we have gone to Boston, which is also a very hitter-friendly ballpark, but we've also played in Oakland. We also played in Safeco, uh, which are two more pitcher-friendly ballparks. So, there. Yeah. Uh, of course, I think the means uh, dynamic has a lot to do with what you're talking about, but uh, also the ballparks uh, that we've been playing in kind of at least partially explain uh, some of what we're seeing here. For sure. And, you know, you can get into this and then slice and dice it any way you want. The Orioles have traveled to the Mariners who aren't super good, although they also played the Mariners at home. I think they went to Texas, haven't played Texas at home, went to Miami. Miami's not super good. So, but you know, it, it kind of, it cuts all different kinds of ways. Again, it's only been, it's been less than 40 total games split between the two venues or the two, you know, categories there. Don't freak out about it. I think anomaly like a John means distribution of his, his workload is, is a big caveat. And also the Orioles offense just hasn't been super good and, and super consistent. So it could also just be happening that, you know, they're not scoring runs at the right time. They're not hitting, getting hits with guys on base to drive in runs. It's just all a little bit random, but it is, it's worth noting, but probably not worth freaking out about. There's also a reason uh, major league baseball plays 162 games a year, right? Uh, it's designed to even out uh, whatever anom- anom- anomalies happen. Of course, the there, yes. <laughs> Of course, there is the business dynamic to it, too, making money, of course, all of that. Yeah. But um, and baseball players have the ability to play every day uh, for 162 games a year like they do, Um, whereas in football, that obviously wouldn't work or in other sports. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, part of it is by design, because in baseball, there is a lot of randomness that happens. And the idea is that 162 games everything will kind of even out. And in the end, the best teams will prevail. And um, kind of similar to this situation, uh, this probably is an anomaly what is happening uh, with our home record. And at the end of the season, it will probably even out um, as well. Absolutely. That is what we hope for. Um, All right, moving on. Let's talk about something that we were all a little bit excited about and it just didn't really pan out so far, but hopefully we'll get a few more opportunities. Uh, Zach Lothar made his MLB. He did not make his MLB debut. I'm sorry. He made his first MLB start. He did debut for the team earlier in the year. He made one uh, one inning relief appearance, but made his first start this past week and it didn't go particularly well. Lasted just two and a third innings and allowed seven earned runs on seven hits, two walks and three strikeouts. 
I actually didn't really get to watch this game, so I don't have too much uh, feedback personally. Jesse, did you get a chance to watch this? I, I saw some of it, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, I mean, nothing nothing really went well. Uh, the one thing I, I'll say is that um, Eli actually covered this game uh, for Birdland okay. tonight. And uh, he went in depth uh, ex- talking about the start and talking about uh, what Lothar did well and not well, uh, et cetera. So for anybody interested, they can go find that episode of Birdland tonight and listen okay. to his deeper analysis on it. Um, but he, he, yes, Lothar did not pitch well. Um, uh, he just got hit basically. And uh, it's to be expected uh, it is his first start. Uh, he was pitching against a very good Boston Red Sox lineup. Um, so it's not too surprising. Um, of course, you know, not freaking out about anything just based on this one start. Um, but he didn't have it this start. He'll get a few more chances and we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm just looking at kind of the box score to sort of make judgments on, you know, I watched highlights and stuff, but that only tells you part of the story. He only threw two and a third. He walked two guys, got hit around a little bit. It looks like his uh, pitches and strike, his strike uh, rate wasn't super high around 60%. So I think he was probably just struggling with his location a little bit. You know, this is a guy that doesn't have overpowering stuff. He gets by on a little bit of finesse and a little bit of herky jerkiness with his uh, windup. You know, this is going to happen. He's not a guy that's going to blow people away. He needs to to pick his spots and and sneak things by pitchers. He'll get more chances. He's one of the Orioles' better pitching prospects. I think they view him long-term as a potential back-end rotation piece. So this is what it's all about. This is kind of we're going to experience some growing pains this year, next year, and maybe even the year after learning what all these young guys have. It's Lothar now. You know, we kind of went through some of that and are continuing to go through it with Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer. Uh, we've seen it with Bruce Zimmerman this year. We're going to see it at some point this year, probably with Michael Bauman. So just kind of you're along for the ride and, and let's see what all these Orioles uh, young pitchers can really do. Right. And, and as depressing and as frustrating as it is going to get uh, as an Oriole fan, there will be moments where it's also exciting too. Yeah, absolutely. And this wasn't one of those times, but hopefully there's a couple <laughs> later this year. So, you know, keep your chin up, Zach. We're excited for you. And uh, yeah, better days ahead. For sure. All right. Now, speaking, let's shift from pictures of the future to pictures of the past. <laughs> Our old friend Chris Tillman is attempting a comeback. Uh, this was reported, let me find out, I'm going to pull up the MLB Trade Rumors uh, link, but it was originally reported by Britt Giroli, uh, who's now at The Athletic, for, former Orioles reporter at MLB.com. Apparently Tillman has been working with his old pitching coach, Dave Wallace, remember that name too, at a, uh, a sports performance center in Florida since February, and he's planning on attempting a comeback you know, if you remember Chris Tillman's tail end of his Orioles career, it did not go particularly well. It was a lot of him continuing to go out there despite getting shelled and Buck Showalter having to answer questions about why Chris Tillman was still pitching. <laughs> so, you know, but that was years ago. He's still only 33 years old. Jesse, what did you think about the news that Chris Tillman was attempting to come back in the year of our Lord 2021? 
Well, initially I was I was kind of surprised, although I probably shouldn't be. Um, it, it is easy to forget uh, how early he started pitching in the major leagues. Uh, he started pitching for us when he was real young. Uh, I guess 20. he must have been 22 or. Uh, he would. Well, it was his age 21 season, 2009. Right. But but he was only. Wow. Yeah, he would have been 20 on opening day that year and turned 21 during the season. Right. So, uh, you know, 33 is not a young uh, pitcher in the major leagues anymore. That is somebody definitely on the tail end of their career, uh, no matter how glorious and glamorous their career has been. Um, yeah, but uh, so it, it definitely is easy to forget kind of how, uh, I guess, more or less in a sense, young he still is uh, because he's been out of the league for so long and not pitching um the thing i'll say about this uh i guess my general reactions is um thinking about it it's not that surprising chris toman was always seemed like a very competitive guy on the mound uh and it really to be a major league baseball player you have to have a lot of grit and a lot of determination um i mean keep in mind it's not like he's been sitting on the couch for these past couple of years he's been training he's been working out he's been trying to get to this point where he can even uh, attempt to come back right so um this isn't a uh he's gonna try it for three months see how it goes and then if it doesn't work call it quits uh this has been years in the making to even get to this point. Right. Which mm -hmm. is probably still not a likely, he's probably not a likely major league pitcher again at this point. Um, but uh, these guys are so determined, of course, playing major league baseball is an amazing experience that most people don't have the opportunity to do. Um, so obviously people want to be pitching and want to be playing major league baseball. So um, it's not that surprising in terms of his chances. I think, it, I mean, this is a long time he's been out of major league baseball and I think it is very difficult. Um, it probably is easier as a pitcher than a hitter, for instance, if you're not seeing major league pitching for a few years, um, that's probably more detrimental than not being on a major league mound in a few years. But nonetheless, um, there, there is something still about the regiment, still something about him not being in competitive situations. I mean, if anybody kind of like Tyler hinted at, he was getting shelled the last year of his career uh, with the Orioles. I mean, he, it was an absolute disaster when he <laughs> went out to the mound. I mean, uh, and, and it, it, he was so he so clearly did not have it it's kind of like us watching Chris Davis hit. It's like at a yeah. certain point, it was so obvious. This is not a competent major league baseball player right now. And um, it was so clear that it was time for the Orioles to move on um, at the end of his career. With that said, I don't want people to forget how uh, good a pitcher Chris Tillman was for us. <laughs> how good a pitcher Chris Tillman was for us and how instrumental he was for the Orioles success. He was our game one starting pitcher in several playoff games. Uh, so we definitely relied upon him. Uh, he threw 200 innings multiple years for us, had some very, very good seasons. So 
Uh, definitely wish him the best of luck in his return. It's what he's attempting, though, is, is very difficult to do. Yeah, just to kind of go back to, to what you were talking about at the end of his run with the Orioles, between 2017 and 2018, he accumulated, accumulated negative 1.1 war overall, which is those are Chris Davis level numbers of bad. His final year, he pitched in seven games, felt like a lot more. He had a 10.46 ERA, and that was 2018. He did latch on with the Texas Rangers on a minor league deal in 20, uh, 2019, but never pitched in a major league game, had uh, shoulder surgery at the end of 2019, and then apparently last year was also attempting a comeback uh, around the spring training, but then COVID happened, everything got shut down, workouts were kind of restricted, and he never latched on with anybody. So like you said, Jesse, he's been working at this for a long time. You know, it is difficult to go so many years between pitching and major league games and expect for anything, everything to pan out. But let's look at Cesar Valdez. He last pitched an MLB game prior to last year in 2017. Uh, now he wasn't in affiliated ball either. He was, where was he? He was pitching somewhere else entirely. He was pitching in like, I, I don't even know, like the depths of professional baseball, so it can happen. Uh, Valdez, I think, was out of baseball more for performance than for injuries, whereas I know Tillman did not play well, but Tillman was hurt. That's why he got the shoulder surgery. His velocity was way down. Like you said, in that, in that one playoff game years ago, he, he was pumping 96 in the first inning against the Tigers. I remember that pretty fondly. He, he wasn't even coming anywhere near that. So hopefully his shoulders all healed up. And if he can, you know, be 92, 93, maybe even a little below that, He's got a chance. And and definitely not to be a downer or anything like that. There we go. <laughs> uh, but I was just going to say, I mean, I wouldn't say there are guys who have made comebacks and no doubt about it. I wouldn't make a Valdez comparison. Valdez is the dead fish pitcher, which is very kind of unorthodox and uh, mm-hmm. isn't relying upon velocity and uh, to, you know, so it is a different situation. Uh, well, I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I wouldn't get my hopes up because Cesar Valdez did it. Uh, it it's kind of like if a knuckleballer did it. Well, okay, you know. Um, Look, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna guess at what repertoire Chris Tillman has nowadays. Mm, he may yes. have a few tricks up his sleeve. Mm, well, that would it. be fascinating. Yeah, I mean that's not in the report anywhere, and I would imagine if that's what was happening, we would know about that. But. You know, we'll see. 33 is not that old. He might, he might, if he got good shoulder surgery, everything's good. It might, it might, his velocity might not be totally back, but if it's close, Matt Harvey's not throwing as hard as he used to, but. Well, that's what I was going to say is, I mean, most pitchers at some point in their career in order to keep pitching have to somehow in some way, in some fashion, reinvent themselves. Mm -hmm. Most, uh, uh, CC Sabathia is a great example of this. Uh, he started out his career throwing 96, 97. Uh, and then later in his career, he became a finesse pitcher, uh, pitching on the corners, etc. Um, so, uh, there it definitely is possible to reinvent yourself as a pitcher. It's just a little harder to do that while you're not actively pitching in the major leagues. So for sure. I mean, the odds we'll are long, see. but it's possible. Right. Yes. That's, I think the bottom line here. So, and it, and if it doesn't happen, he went out trying and 
he had he still had a very good major league career. He pitched or played in the majors the five years to get health insurance his entire career or his entire lifetime or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he'll. Uh, they're definitely uh, major league baseball players that have had less fortune and less success than Chris Tillman did uh, in the major leagues. For sure. Uh, okay. A couple other quick notes, nothing that we've got to really discuss too in depth. O's made some roster moves. They claimed pitcher Brandon Waddell from the twins in order to make that move. They had to DFA Jay flaw who threw a total of one third of an inning earlier this year for the Orioles and his only major league experience. Flaw was then claimed by the Braves who added him to their 40 man roster. Jesse, what was your favorite moment of the Jay flaw era with the Baltimore Orioles? Well, that one third of an inning was just spectacular. It was a good one. He didn't allow any runs. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what I would say, I mean, we, we talk about surviving uh, the, the season. Right. And uh, I mean, that one third of an inning crucial out for the Orioles. So absolutely. They all count. Look, you know, Fla's going to go to a good Braves team who will probably use him in the big leagues. Occasionally he's got all his options remaining. He's, a, a fringy big league pitcher like that's you know that's a job for at least a couple years he'll get to hang out with ronald acuna i mean i'm sure they'll be best friends yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then one other note jesse you wanted to make a special mention of a baltimore area guy that's uh doing big things in the big leagues yeah for sure uh well uh I guess what I would say is we've been talking about him uh, periodically for a long time and uh, it would go, uh, it would really be wrong to not announce this uh, because we've been keeping an eye on him. Uh, But Troy Stokes, who is from the Baltimore area, who um, used to play baseball with Eli and I grew up going to his games a lot of the time. He went to Calvert Hall. Yes, he did. And he was drafted in the fourth round by the Brewers in some year. I'm not positive, Uh, but he he was drafted out of high school, though. So it was a while ago, probably like five years ago or 2014, 24. Wow. Not even more than five years ago. Wow. So, um, yeah, but uh, Troy Stokes uh, Jr. uh, is now a Major League Baseball player for the the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pirates. So uh, he got called up to the Major Leagues on Sunday. Uh, he had a very nice defensive play, uh, despite his four, uh, his O for four effort at the plate. Um, but then on Tuesday, uh, he recorded his first major league hit. He went two for three with two RBIs and a walk. So, um, uh, I mean, he did pinch hit last night and struck out. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, just a little add on there, but, um, I mean, he's in the major leagues and that is pretty amazing. Um, He definitely great, great person. uh, It seemed like Uh, maybe Eli can make a little note about this more in detail next week because he knows him better than I do. Um, But uh, I've talked to his dad a good amount. His dad is a very nice person um, as well. And uh, has actually, um, when Eli was playing for the uh, Baltimore Dodgers, his dad was very supportive, uh, helping the team out with stuff that they needed to get done and was very involved, despite Troy not being on that team. So Hmm. um, 
But regardless, I'm going on a little tangent here. A little but, bit, yeah. Uh, yeah, but we're all very uh, excited for Troy. Um, and I felt like uh, him being a, uh, a Baltimore kid, uh, it was worth pointing out and uh, mentioning uh, on this Baltimore Orioles podcast. So what would be interesting to know is if Bruce Zimmerman, who went to Loyola and is a year older than Troy, ever played against Troy in high school because Troy went to Calvert Hall. Bruce went to Loyola big Baltimore area rivalry uh that could be they could be interesting week yeah that would probably require a lot of internet exploration but it might be out there or it could require a text from Eli I was gonna right yes exactly (laughs) that that's the other thing right yes that is the other thing or uh yeah if one of these uh beat reporters wants to uh ask uh Zimmerman after the game that would be uh <laughs> did you ever pitch against this Pittsburgh Pirates guy? yeah right right this ran the, yeah right um yeah but uh if anybody reg- if any of our listeners who went to Loyola or Coward I'm sure we've got one it's a pretty big yeah. school in the area you know yeah. let us know if you know that information for sure so but yeah I mean bottom line is congratulations uh there are a lot of people here uh including ourselves that are supporting you and yeah. uh hoping that you have a a nice major league career absolutely and I'm sure we'll see him sometime play against Definitely. the Orioles yeah right exactly all right let's move on to our final little piece of the week uh Oriole of the week last week the hints were Played with the Orioles from 1999 through 2000. Four-time Gold Glove winner prior to playing with the Orioles and traded three times in 1998, including twice on December 1st, the day he became an Oriole. And the answer there was Charles Johnson. Jesse? Did anybody get that? Uh, Brady got it. Oh, okay. Our one listener, Brady. Got you. Okay. (laughs) Got you. All right. We will keep mentioning Brady. Yeah. This week... We have a new person who played in a slightly different era than some of the guys we've talked about to this point, a little older, but not too old. So we should, it's, it's, you didn't know it right away. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit more, um, it's tough. Yeah. A little bit more of a deeper pool for a little bit of older audience. Uh, So we'll just go, we'll ping pong back and forth. I'll take the first and third. You'll take the second. This person was the starting pitcher for the very starting pitcher for the Orioles for the very first game at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in 1992 when it opened. He was nicknamed the Red Baron. And he has served as an analyst at ESPN in some capacity since 1998. So go on our social media and you can, or you can email us if you want to, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. Uh, or or DM us on our various social media channels. Let us know who it is. I feel like we're very accessible. So we try uh, to be. The, the fans have a variety of mediums to uh, answer the question. Yeah. And you can you can DM us hate mail if you don't like what we say. You can DM us nice things like, hey, I I liked that thing you said. It doesn't have to be related to Oreo of the Week. It can be anything. Right. Or constructive criticism. That is true. You can say it in a nice way. That's right. We don't have to have the two polar extremes like hate mail or <laughs> you can say you love us, you know? Right, right. So, uh, All right. So this week, the Orioles, we're going to do the next two series. They play three games against the Yankees and then have an off day on Monday and then a three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays. 
All those games are at home, which we just discussed. The Orioles have been horrible at home. Jesse, do you have a prediction on what the Orioles' record will be for the, will be for those six games? Hold on one second. Oh. I uh, sorry, just edit this out. Uh, so we play the Yankees and then the Rays all at home. Oh God, this is yes. not going to go well. Okay. Um. <laughs> Why? Well, uh, let's see. Go. Go ahead. Okay. I feel like you, you overthink this part. Every well, week. so I, I, I didn't hear what you said. So, like, I didn't know who we were playing. So I had to look it up. Sorry. Um, all right. Ready? I'm ready. All right. I, I'm going to say that we're going to go two and four. So hopefully I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really hoping the Orioles don't repeat a one and five week. So that's why I'm going to say two and four. But so this just because the- you don't want them to be bad is why you think they won't be bad. Uh, yeah, this, I mean, this is a very, this is going to be a very depressing outlook if we go two and 10 over. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I'm going to say we're going to squeeze two wins out of New York. Well, do, you, do you want the pitching matchups for the series? Uh, sure. Uh, hold on. I've got to let the computer reload. Okay. So Tomorrow, Friday, rather, because this is when I'll be uploading it, is Friday. The matchup is Corey Kluber versus Dean Kramer. Saturday is Domingo Herman versus Jorge Lopez. And Sunday is Jordan Montgomery versus John Means. Lefty matchup. Does that change what you've what you think? You know, I feel like Kramer has this also could have been one of the silver linings of the week. Kramer has been pitching well. And Kramer um, has cool hair. Yes, definitely. What we did not think of that, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yes, he's he's the one uh, standout on the team. Um, yeah, he definitely his hair definitely stands out. Um, no, he has cool hair too. Um, yeah. In any case, uh, 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 so I, yeah, Kramer and Lopez have both been pitching well. So. Uh, I'll say that we win both of those and actually lose the mean start. Wow. That's Jordan, bl- the the thing is Jordan Montgomery is a very good pitcher too. The Orioles having given means a lot of run support and he's pitching at home. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say we're going to win the first two games against the Yankees and lose every game after that. That's my prediction. I think this is the third time the Orioles have faced Montgomery already this year. So I'm hoping uh, maybe, maybe some familiarity improves there, but he's got a 1.64 ERA over the 11 innings he's thrown against the Orioles this year. So it's not been great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a problem. Uh, Let's see. Well, I don't want to be a Debbie downer. So let's go positive. Let's say they'll go four and two. They'll take How they two. getting those four wins? Yeah, go ahead. They're going to win two in each series. I wouldn't be shocked if they somehow swept one of these teams just because that would be a very Orioles thing to do is to be absolutely dreadful against like a team like the Mets who aren't particularly good and then to sweep, you know, arguably two of the best teams in the American League. But I'll say they go two and three or two and one against both of them. Win two series at home. Flip the narrative. John Means throws seven more scoreless innings. Nice. Bold that'd predictions. Be, that'd be that'd be exciting. 
that would be very exciting. Yeah. All right. Uh, so those and are. It'd be predict- nice to beat the Yankees, of course, too. So. Oh, that's always fun. That is well, always. Although both of us have them taking two out of three from the Yankees. That's so. true. So we both yeah. think it's going to be a good week against the Yankees. I think uh, the Orioles will. They're they've flipped the strict. The the Orioles have flipped the script a little bit on the Yankees. They uh they don't get totally blown out anymore. Yeah, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm sticking to my prediction, but. Kramer has been giving up the long ball a little bit and he's pitching in Camden yards against a very power hitting Yankees team with judge and Stanton. So that is kind of concerning. I will say that, but I'm still saying we're going to win that game regardless. Nice. Yes. Believe in your birds. Yes, exactly. That's why I'm I'm hoping or predicting they go two and four because I believe in them. Right. (laughs) Very good. All right. Uh, that is all the topics we have for this week. Be sure what you guys can do to support us is go on the different social media platforms that you like and follow us. We are out at the warehouse pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Go over to our YouTube page and subscribe to us there. Sometimes there's a video version of the podcast. It depends. Sometimes there's technical issues and we just put the audio up there as well. But if you like to use YouTube, YouTube as a podcast venue you can do that as well you can email us the warehouse pod at gmail.com and if you do nothing else please subscribe to us on the various podcast platforms that you prefer or you can go to our Substack, the warehouse and subscribe to us there and you will join our email list and the podcast will be sent right to your email inbox jesse where can people follow you on the internet uh, people can follow me on uh, Twitter and on Instagram at Juggernaut8678, uh, J-U-G-G-E-R-N-A-U-T-8678. Very good. And I am on Twitter and Instagram as well at underscore Ty Young and over at CamdenChat.com with a couple of blogs and game recaps and other fun stuff every week. So check out me and some other folks there. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining our show this week. Next week, we will recap the two series that we just discussed, hopefully have some more positive baseball to talk about. And uh, maybe John means there's another no hitter because that's our only positive from the last two weeks of baseball. Maybe we won't need a silver lining next week. Boom. Positive, positive vibes into the, uh, into the world. And they come back to you, right? Yep. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. Until next time, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. Let's go O's.